Hello from ABA Annual Meeting 2018 in Chicago, Illinois. I'm Lawrence Coletti. I'm Linda Klein. I'm Nan Dorenzi. I'm Michelle Suskauer. I'm Karen Scanlon. I'm Catherine Lee Goyette. And we're all on the road with Legal Talk Network. And we're back. Thank you so much for joining us. We had another podcasting epiphany that just materialized, and I've got an absolutely tremendous lineup of guests here. I could not have planned this without, I guess, the help of an accident here. So just giving you a little bit of the background before we get into it, uh, I had a wonderful uh, woman, Catherine Goyette, stop by, and she was very persistent. She wanted to talk about the military spouse's J.D. Network, and she was looking out for her organization. She is the president, of course, and wanted to talk to us about the work that they're doing for the military spouse admissions rule. So we decided to scramble and uh, we started to reach out and we came across an amazing lineup of guests. But before we get to that, I'm going to have each one of them introduce themselves in turn. You will not believe it. Uh, we're going to get their bio, where they work and what do they do. And I'm going to start with immediate past president, Linda Klein. I'm Linda Klein, the immediate past president of the American Bar Association. I'm from Atlanta, Georgia, and I'm at the Baker Donaldson Law Firm. All right. And Admiral. I'm a retired Vice Admiral Nan Dorenzi. I was the 42nd Judge Advocate General of the Navy and served from 2012 to 2015. I am currently the chairman of the Veterans Legal Services Commission uh, with the ABA. Excellent. And we also have the current president of the Florida Bar, Michelle Suskauer. That's right, Michelle Suskauer. I'm a criminal defense attorney. I work in West Palm Beach, Florida. I'm with Diamond Kaplan and Rothstein. I'm thrilled to be here. All right, and we're going to have uh, Karen Scanlon. I'm Karen Scanlon, the president-elect of the Military Spouse JD Network. I am the proud spouse of Patrick Scanlon, Jr., major retired U.S. Army. Uh, we are in Miami, Florida. And last but not least, we have the founder of this episode. We have Catherine Goyette. Welcome. Thank you. My name is Catherine Lee Goyette. I'm the president of the Military Spouse JD Network. Uh, my husband is on active duty. We are stationed at Fort Campbell, Kentucky, and I practice with Fenley and Edson in Clarksville, Tennessee. Now, this issue is definitely close to my heart. My, uh, my sister is married to an Air Force pilot, and as part of his career, he's had to travel around all over the world. And my sister's been very supportive. She's got her own career. She's a very professional woman, but she has to rebuild it uh, when, they, when they move. And now they've really kind of got themselves set up. But it's one of those things, you know, uh, when you have professional women in your life that you love, you just want to see, you know, them doing well. And, you know, this isn't just about women. It's about spouses of our military that serve. And so uh, we want to start with that. So, Catherine... Uh, I want to I want to get into the military spouse admissions where you came to us. You wanted to talk about it. We we'll talk about the work that the military spouses JD network was doing. So let's start with that. There's a there's a story here in Florida, and that's a good part of the reason why President Suskauer is here. Yeah. So let me let me back up a little bit. So I want to talk a little bit about why uh, our military spouse bar association, the military spouse JD network. Uh, started approaching all of these different jurisdictions requesting special accommodations for military spouses. Uh, the issue is when you have a service member spouse that is on active duty, uh, it's more likely than not that you will move every three to four years. And uh, for the spouse attorneys, that meant sitting for a bar exam every three to four years. And so what we did as a bar association, we started approaching a, a number of jur jurisdictions and requesting a rule, a military spouse rule. It's admission on motion. So uh, in general, the spouse would, would be licensed in another jurisdiction. There would be no disciplinary history, and they would be 
in that jurisdiction due to their service member spouse's active duty orders. And so that is the general principle behind it. We currently have 30 jurisdictions with some sort of military spouse law licensing accommodation. Um, and uh, Florida recently had a victory. So I'm gonna pass that over to Karen Scanlon, our uh, president-elect, uh, to discuss that since she was really instrumental in our efforts in Florida. So in 2013, my husband and I PCS to Orlando, Florida. Um, Could I'm you tell us what PCS is? Permanent change of station. So we moved from, I'm, I'm an Illinois licensed attorney. Um, as the legal community knows, Florida has reciprocity with nobody. So that's, I- That's correct. <laughs> that's correct. I, meaning, meaning you have to take the Florida bar exam in order to practice law in Florida. Correct. So when we moved to Orlando, I became involved with the Military Spouse JD Network uh, Florida State Team. We approached the bar to uh, begin dialoguing how we can get this type of accommodation in uh, the Sunshine State. Um, and it's been a long, arduous journey. It's taken about four years, but I have to say that we, at every turn, have had the support of the Florida legal community because Florida is a uh, military-heavy state logging in about 54,000 active duty personnel. So the fact that two weeks ago, the Supreme Court put their gavel on it and recognized um, their own members legal of the legal community in the Sunshine State with service members that we can now be a part of your bar is amazing. Well, so just, just uh, to walk through a little bit. So now let's say somebody gets stationed in Florida, they come over with their family. And so you've got, uh, you've got your military spouse and the other spouse is a practicing attorney in Arizona and they come to Florida. Now they can open up a practice and continue practicing under Florida law. How's it work? We do work with um, each jurisdiction's uh, specific needs. So Florida is requiring a mentorship relationship between somebody, either an employment or a mentorship relationship with an active member of the Florida bar. They also require a six month, um, six months when you're out the, the basic skills course, um, CLE requirements, um, but you could PCS to Florida, unpack your household goods, and then apply for a job without saying my license is pending a two year background check or the results of the bar exam. Right, and there is a time limit. So Florida does obviously recognize and, and value the members of, of the military, their spouses who are, are relocating to, to Florida, um, but there's a time limit of five years. So I think it's up, up to five years. Right. And Correct. what would be the, what's the normal deployment? And now you have a, what did you say, a permanent relocation? So right. permanent relocation is a permanent relocation of station, or tell me how no. that works. I know it sounds confusing. It's permanent change of duty station, but it's not really permanent. You're usually there about three to four years, depending on your service member spouses. Um, so the time limit that Florida's put on there is reasonable in terms of five years, you would say? Absolutely. Right. And we don't come to jurisdictions saying, hey, we want a permanent license. That's not really, it. it's not what we're asking for. It's really a temporary accommodation while the spouse is in that state due to their service member spouse's active duty orders. Um, so I have practiced on two military spouse law licenses um, in Colorado when we were stationed at Fort Carson. And right now in uh, the state of Tennessee, I'm practicing law on a temporary military spouse attorney license. And so when uh, we received orders from Fort Carson, Colorado to Fort Sill, Oklahoma, you know, I, I notified the Colorado Supreme Court of that and um, PCS. So I don't, I do not have 
any longer a Colorado license. But that was that was the whole point. Um, this really started uh, with the ABA support um, with their uh, ABA House of Delegates Resolution 108 that requested that the jurisdictions uh, take into account the challenges and struggles that military spouse attorneys faced when they followed their service members around the country. And also, I think that was in 2011, and then... Uh, and it Congress. passed unanimously, I'd like to it you did, know that. It did, it did. When, when you get a bunch of 575-plus lawyers agreeing on something unanimously, we know it's important. Yes, incredibly important. <laughs> That's a good and, uh, the Conference of Chiefs, Chief Justices also passed a resolution, and that was back in 2012. Um, so we've had a substantial amount of support from the legal community as well as the American Bar Association. I think what's significant about Florida is that Florida tends to be the state that has, is, is let's call it one of the least friendly as far as waving in from another state's bar. So I'd like to ask Michelle as well, president. Least, of- least friendly, we, we don't allow it at all. Okay. Right. So I would say completely, I don't know if I would say friendly is the right word. So tell us why Florida made this one exception. You know, several years ago, there was a, a recommendation um, from a committee that was studying whether or not we should have a multi-jurisdictional practice in reciprocity. And the really, there was overwhelming rejection, that, rejection of that, exactly. Um, but this was different. And the support has been strong and significant in Florida, especially from the Board of Governors, um, that this was not looked at as reciprocity, that this is a limited appearance that, you know, up to five years that that's reasonable. And there was a lot of sensitivity to the fact that it was very, very important that we wanted lawyers who, because of their spouse's employment, needed to move. Orders from the federal government. The Department of Mm -hmm. Defense had some. It's not like people have a choice. The Department of Defense says you go, right, Admiral? And then you go. And then you go. And I think that was looked at completely differently than that push for reciprocity. And so we were thrilled, and I'm personally thrilled, to uh, be the president of the bar when this rule has come down. I take zero credit, um, but I'm thrilled that I was able to announce that to our board of governors, who was absolutely, we had our, our first meeting of the year last week, and everybody was really, really happy about it. And from a military perspective, I'd like to talk about how important this is. They say that you recruit an individual, but you retain a family. And as the senior lawyer, military lawyer in the Department of the Navy, I ran a global law firm of 2,300 people. And you want to be able to retain the people that you need and want to retain. And part of that is ensuring that um, their family and their their spouse can uh, thrive within their military career because you don't want people to have to make a choice. It's either my family or my military service. And this is huge. And within the Navy's JAG Corps, we had many military spouses that weren't active duty JAGs. And we supported this effort as well. And I'm thrilled that uh, Florida now is on board with it. It's tremendous. Absolutely. I think I want to transition also, and it's well said, Admiral. Um, I want to transition into the work being done in Georgia. Now, uh, as I understand it, there's an uh, appellate named Harriet O'Neill, and it's kind of related to it, uh, talking about practice uh, as a military spouse in the state of Georgia. And uh, Linda, this is one of the, my favorite things about the ABA. As we've come to cover the ABA, I learned about this incredible volunteer work. I, previous to working for Legal Talk Network, I had very little contact with the ABA. I'm so glad that I do now because moments like this really make me feel good about the practice of law. And you guys stepped in and supported. You filed an amicus brief in support of, of Harriet. 
And uh, now we're trying, uh, and I don't know where we are, so that's why I kind of want to transition into Glad that. you asked. <laughs> so uh, Harriet O'Neill uh, moved with her husband, who is a sergeant, from uh, Fort Polk, Louisiana, to Fort Benning, Georgia. And Harriet applied for the waiver, we call it a waiver in Georgia, that she could waive into the Georgia bar. She was a member in good standing of the Louisiana bar. She passed all the tests she needed to pass. In fact, uh, the ethics exam, Louisiana requires a higher score than Georgia does. Uh, and she, she certainly passed. Uh, she's got a stellar performance as far as the bar is concerned. She's a graduate of law school in Louisiana. And she moved to Georgia. She applied. And without explanation, she received a letter that said, you're denied. And I learned about this at the ABA's mid-year meeting in Vancouver from the military spouse JD Network. And I was shocked. I almost didn't believe it. Uh, Georgia has so many military bases. There are so many active duty and so many veterans in Georgia. I was just shocked that this was the case. In fact, we even have statutes in Georgia that talk about people who are licensed professionals in other professions, and certainly they, they don't have this problem. So we, we decided to get in touch with Harriet, and we found out that Harriet, in our, in our opinion, had been treated very unfairly. So we encouraged Harriet to file an appeal to the Georgia Supreme Court, which she did on her own, pro se. And I'd like to add that Harriet's a young lawyer, so she could not wave into the Georgia bar pursuant to our other rules. And she has considerable debt. Well, how can, how can you not work if you've got to pay off your debt? It just was so unfair. So we then asked the, the ABA if the ABA would be interested in getting involved in writing an amicus brief on Harriet's behalf to the Georgia Supreme Court. And I'm proud to say that the law firm of Latham & Watkins, which is a very large firm filled with very smart lawyers, uh, filed and wrote the brief on behalf of the ABA, and I helped them file it. And uh, that, of course, is signed by the ABA president this year, Hillary Bass, from Florida, I might add. And then I got to work on asking some other groups if they wanted to support Harriet in an amicus brief. And so the National Association for Women Lawyers, the Georgia Association for Women Lawyers, uh, the woman who is a veteran herself and past chair of the Georgia Military and Veterans Section of the State Bar, uh, they filed a brief together with an affidavit from General Steve Lepper, uh, who is the chair of the Legal Assistance to Military Personnel Committee. And then I worked on an amicus brief myself. And the amicus brief that I signed was joined by uh, Joe Whitley, who happens to be the first general counsel of the Department of Homeland Security, who was also a U.S. attorney in two different judicial districts. And he also served in the Justice Department, I believe, as high as the number three role. And then uh, Sloan Paris. Sloan is the general counsel at the Crystal Company, the hamburger company. And Sloan was an Air Force spouse. And Sloan took five bar exams in eight years. Wow. Sloan found out the day she passed the New Jersey and Pennsylvania bars that her husband was being transferred to Seattle, Washington. Oh my gosh. And that is the kind of, of problem that is just so unfair. And that's why so many people wanted to get involved to help Harriet. So we are waiting for the Georgia Supreme Court to rule and we certainly hope the Georgia Supreme Court will see it the same way we do. I've got kind of an out of left field question here about this. I, I just cannot imagine that any attorney as part of a bar would object to military spouses coming in and wanting to practice in their jurisdiction. I just can't imagine it. So I guess, uh, listen, because this, uh, this is new information to me, what are the obstacles here? I don't understand why the bars just can't declare the organizations that administer the bar and admission to the bar. Why can't they just... 
change well, the rule? Well, first of all, it depends on the way that the, the bar is administered. So in Florida, you know, we're a, a unified bar and it's, you know, we can propose a rule, but it's not ultimately up to us. It's up to the Supreme Court of the state of Florida. So, it, you know, again, in Georgia, it's, we it, have it, a rule. You know, we have a rule in Georgia. The Georgia rule was uh, promulgated by the Georgia Supreme Court, and it has to be administered by the Georgia Board of Bar Examiners. Again, every state is slightly different in the way right. this moves forward. The Georgia rule is not the same rule that the ABA passed as its model rule, uh, and it's not exactly what the conference the Conference of Chief Justices uh, just issued a report saying that it would be a good idea to have a rule like that one. So the Georgia rule is not as, as detailed. You do want there to be some control over who can come to practice law in your state, and the Supreme Court should supervise that. But basically, if you have a military spouse who is there under orders of the Department of Defense, who is a member in good standing of a state bar, uh, that ought to be good enough. I can understand where we have a situation that uh, someone has a disciplinary problem. Uh, and may not be uh, fully eligible to practice law. I could understand that. But uh, in, in a case where someone's license is clean, so to speak, uh, then I really don't see what the problem is. So what's, uh, what's the current status of Harriet O'Neill's case right now? We are waiting for a ruling from the Georgia Supreme Court. Okay. Well, I'd like to transition the conversation one more time into supporting our veterans. So we did talk about veteran families and uh, I'm going to look to immediate past president Linda Klein here. We have a special guest, Admiral Dorenzi. I don't get a, often enough chance to sit with admirals. And so where, what do we want to ask her? We're here, and, and Linda, the work that you do for the veterans is very impressive. We caught up with you in Vancouver at mid-year, and uh, it's just amazing the work that's being done for the people that serve, our, serve and protect our country. So we have the Admiral. What, what do we want to talk with her about? Admiral Dorenzi, I owe you an incredible debt of gratitude. So for the last two years, Admiral Dorenzi has chaired the Veterans Legal Services Initiative of the American Bar Association. And she has done a fabulous job because there are just so many things that have been accomplished in such a short period of time. And I have to assume that it's because an admiral knows how to get things done. So I'd like you to talk about uh, some of the things that the Veterans Legal Services Initiative has accomplished in the last two years. I think it's fair to say that maybe I know how to get other people to get things done. Um, it was Linda's vision a couple of years ago when she came and asked if I would chair the initiative. And I was tempted to say no, because I was just starting a job. And two minutes into her explanation of why this was so important, I said yes. And the, overar the overarching goal is to get military veterans in need of support together with pro bono legal support. And that's done in several ways. Sometimes it's as easy as making sure uh, lawyers have access to technology uh, to help them get the resources they need to help veterans. Sometimes it's making sure law schools have clinics that support, um, dedicated to support veterans. And we've worked to set up law school clinics and we've worked to build a um, toolkit, like a clinic in a box. So if you're a law school that wants to stand up a legal clinic, we have a toolkit for you that has just about everything you need in it to allow you to do that. And uh, we're, we're there for, um, for the support for that effort. Um, similarly, uh, there are medical clinics for veterans in each one of the 50 states, but not each one of those states has a legal clinic serving veterans in those medical clinics. And what we found was medical legal partnerships were huge. Frequently people suffering from medical issues 
also had legal issues associated with that. You know, a good doctor talking to, you know, your, um, a patient's like full life experience will find out that they may have legal issues, financial issues, domestic issues that can be helped or solved by a lawyer. And we are four states away from making sure that at least one veterans medical clinic in each state has a legal clinic associated with it. Uh, the biggest effort, think about Match.com for lawyers and veterans in need of legal support. It's a platform called Vetlex, and ultimately the vision is if you're a veteran in need of legal support, you go in, you work on an easy drop-down menu, and you're paired with a lawyer close to you with the expertise you need who's going to give you legal help uh, for little or no cost to you. So uh, just a follow-up question on some of the, the law school clinics. How many did you say that? Uh... I'm not going to be able to tell you how many there are today, and I apologize for that. I can tell you we're four clinics away on the, um, the veteran medical clinic side. I can't tell you off the top of my head how close we are on the law so school. So that's four front. from 50 is what you're saying? Yep. Or, okay. uh, we 51. Yeah, because we, because right. we have one in we Washington, D.C. Yes. Oh, okay, gotcha. Yep. We have uh, Montana, Wyoming, Indiana, and Mississippi uh, left to go. Um, Iowa and Rhode Island were the last two that just came online. And I think within the next year, we should get the next four. Hey, Linda, this is kind of kind of harkens back to what we were talking about at mid-year, you know, which is with the, the medical legal component. A lot of times veterans come in, don't know they have a legal problem. They have a problem that needs to be fixed. They don't know it's a legal problem. And so... What I'd like to do is just kind of revisit that a little bit. You know, there, there's a, a lot of typical problems that some of the veterans have that can easily be solved by some of the volunteers that you, you all are recruiting. So, you know, Linda, can we talk a little bit about some of those common problems and then uh, maybe we could do a little outreach for some of the attorneys that you guys need for making these clinics run? Six of the 10 reasons why a veteran becomes homeless is a legal problem. So think about it. Uh, you lose a job, your credit becomes impaired because you can't pay your bills. The next thing you know, you wind up homeless. You have child support problems. And these problems, as Admiral Dorenzi was saying, can be multi-jurisdictional. So if I'm a pro bono lawyer in Georgia and a veteran comes to see me, maybe it's a Navy veteran, well, that person may have ended their career at the naval base in Georgia, but it turns out that person had been deployed out of San Diego and then maybe out of Norfolk. And I'm not licensed to practice in California or Virginia. And by putting a network together, we can solve these problems cross-jurisdictionally. The problem we have now is we use Twitter and listservs to try to place these cases, and it's just not efficient and effective. And that's the idea behind the VetLex software that Admiral Dorenzi was talking about. So just in terms of the type of lawyer that you're looking for, and I understand it's kind of a wide span of issues that are being faced here, but what kind of lawyers are you looking for? All of them. All of them. There tends to be this, um, the immediate reaction is the thought that it's with a veteran's claim, like their claim for veterans' benefits. And that's only one thing. As Linda just described, you think of the legal problem and there's a veteran that has it. It isn't a narrow focus for, for disability benefits. It's the broad legal problems in the spectrum of your life. That anyone would have. That's exactly right. Whether it's criminal, whether it's landlord-tenant, yep. I mean, it's everything, yeah. right? Yeah, credit problems, getting your credit back online. Um, right. And it's, it's often things that a lawyer can solve in 10 minutes. You know, it's not always a complex legal issue. I'll give you an example. When my law partners started volunteering at the men's homeless shelter and found that a disproportionate number of the men there uh, were veterans, that most of them just needed an ID. 
And in 20 minutes, a lawyer could get a veteran an ID and make a, turn a homeless person into someone who has veteran subsidized housing or gets the medical treatment that they need. And that's just a miracle when you think about how easy it is to help a veteran. So all the lawyers out there listening, it's very easy and you will feel wonderful. So you heard it from Linda. You heard it from the Admiral. Uncle and Aunt Sam want you. That's exactly right. So in closing, I want to say one more thing to uh, Admiral Dorenzi. You actually, I have to admit one more time that my father was right. He said something about leaders. He said, the really great leaders are recruited. So I want to thank you for your service. I want to thank you for working with Linda to help the people that serve and protect our country. I want to also give everybody a chance to leave some contact information. And I want to invite lawyers out there that are listening that love the military, love our country to volunteer and help people out. So Linda, I want to start with you. So if you'd like to talk uh, more to me about helping veterans, uh, you can reach me at my uh, law firm's email address, which is lkline at bakerdonaldson.com. All right. And Catherine? Um, my email address is president at msjdn.org. Uh, we actually have a 501c3 uh, foundation that provides pro bono legal services to, blue, to Gold Star families. And that email address, if you're interested in volunteering on behalf of Gold Star families, is pro bono at msjdn.org. Thank you. Karen? I can be reached at prezelect, P-R-E-S-E-L-E-C-T, at msjdn.org. And anybody listening who wants to help us uh, get the other 20 states on board for the licensing initiative, please feel free to email statelicensing at msjdn.org. President Suskauer. Well, you could definitely go on the Florida Bar website at floridabar.org. Um, I'm on every possible social media platform known to man or woman. This uh, is true. So I am not hidden, and you can find me. I'm very responsive, and so please reach out if you have any questions for me. And Admiral Dorenzi. You'll find me at ndorenzi at jeffersonconsulting.com. Excellent. Well, we've reached the end of the road for today's episode. I want to thank our guests so much. Uh, absolutely tremendous panel of women leaders doing really good things. Thank you for joining us. I'd also want to thank our listeners for tuning in. If you like what you heard today, please rate us an Apple podcast. We'll see you next time for another episode of On the Road with Legal Talk Network. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via iTunes and RSS. Find us on Twitter and Facebook or download our free Legal Talk Network app in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.